So this morning, the scripture reading comes from first Psalms 84, 5 through 7, and then Isaiah 7, 13 through 15. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject wrong and choose the right. Psalm 84, 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. The reading of the Lord. On the mountaintop and in the valley. In your home or in the wilderness. In the calm and in the storms. In the crowded streets or the empty desert. In our journeying and in our hope, in our waiting, in our anticipation, we are never alone. Emmanuel, God with us. This is the first week, uh, the first uh, week of the season of Advent, and we are so excited uh, to have you all here and And as it's the beginning of this new season, it's the beginning of this new teaching series, uh, where we're going to focus on this core element of Christianity called the Incarnation. Now, what the Incarnation is, all that really means is that in the person of Jesus Christ, God became flesh. And God dwelt among us, and he left his heavenly throne, and he took on an earthly body, and he walked among us. And now this is really good news because for us Christians, that means that we don't worship a God that is far off. When we were going through these, these earthly human experiences, when we feel pain, when we feel sorrow, when we feel suffering, we worship a God who has walked that same road before us. We worship a God that didn't stay far away, but one that drew near to the human experience. Now this Advent series is kind of loosely based on uh, an Advent series that, that I have found uh, meaningful in my own life uh, this last several months. Uh, it's by this great big church called Life Church. Uh, it has the same name, uh, but it's very different. But all that to say, you go ahead and Google this series. Life Church is going to come up. Uh, go ahead and listen to it. It's great stuff. It won't sound exactly the same, but it might sound familiar. So, uh, each week that we do this series, uh, we're going to start with the same Bible verse. Uh, So this is Matthew 1, verse 23. It says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, this is so easy to believe that God is with us when things are going well. It's so easy to believe in life that God is with us when we get uh, great news from the doctor, when they call up and they have great news for us about what the report was. It's easy to believe that God is with us. 
It's easy to believe God is with us when we get the job. When we apply and we go and, and we interview and, and we find out that we got the job. It's really easy to believe that God is with us. It's easy to believe that God is with us when we are surrounded by loved ones. And we're sitting at a massive table. And this table happens to be full of turkey. And it happens to be full of stuffing. And it happens to be full of my favorite mashed potatoes and gravy. And it happens to be full of pumpkin pie, which I hear some people eat on Thanksgiving. I pass on it and I take more mashed potatoes and gravy. Uh, amen. I got an amen from the, uh, from the sanctuary here. However, it is more difficult, if we're honest, it's more difficult to believe that God is with us when we're in these valleys of life. We're at these low points of life. So it's these valleys, this is what we're going to talk about today. When we get bad news, when we're hurting, when we're alone, when we're worried, when we're in pain. If you're anything like me, there can be 10 different places in life and nine of them can be going really well. And one of them is just out of sync. Something is wrong and it brings down the entire system. Maybe everything's going really well, but you know, you have this adult child who, who's just making really terrible life choices. And it's pulling on you. It's, it's leaning on you. It's, it's weighing you down. Maybe everything's going great, but finances, you know, they're really tight this year. And maybe this hasn't been the year for you. And, and you look at it and you're like, but I'm supposed to be happy. I'm supposed to be full of hope coming into Christmas, but I know how much this is going to cost in my pocketbook. And I know we just can't afford it this year. Maybe everything's going great, but the foundations of your marriage is crumbling away. Sometimes it seems like we have these mountaintop high experiences. And if you've been around church for a long time, uh, pastors talk about this a lot. The mountaintop is where we feel God, where we feel God's presence like we never have before. And we're able to, to stand there uh, but scripture calls us not to make the mountaintop our home. But you don't have to be a Christian very long before you realize between these mountaintop experiences are always valleys. And, and I had one of these just a few years ago. Uh, I was part of a church. Uh, it, was, it was in rural Minnesota. And this church uh, was a large church. And together with two other churches, they owned and operated a boy's home in Jamaica. Uh, which is wonderful. Uh, so it's kind of like an orphanage, but not all the boys were necessarily orphans that were living there, but kind of functioned like you would think an orphanage. And one of the perks of being uh, in ministry and working at a church like that is that you get to go on a mission trip to Jamaica. And you get to go on a mission trip to Jamaica, which is great in itself, but you get to go on a mission trip to Jamaica in the middle of a Minnesota winter. I think it was January or February. You get to go on a mission trip to Jamaica, and it's just wonderful. And, and not only is the weather great, of course, but it was this time in my own life where uh, I felt like I was just connecting with these young people that live there in a really special way. And, and I got to do the teaching series, and this was the first time in ministry that I got to plan out a whole week, and I was going to say, in the morning, I'm going to teach this, and in the evening, I'm going to teach that. And I'm like three days in, and it's just connecting so well with them. And I can just feel the Holy Spirit alive and active. And like I said, I'm, I'm connecting with these young people. 
And it was great. And then we got back on the plane and we flew back. And I wasn't even home for 24 hours before um, I just started to not feel well. Before I knew that, that inside me uh, some, something wasn't right. And first it was my stomach. Uh, and it just was in such knots. And then my whole body. And within three or four days, uh, and this is not normally how, how I do things, within three or four days, uh, I realized I need to go to the doctor and see what's going on inside me. Um, normally I'm like two weeks later kind of person. This was like a three days kind of I'm not feeling well kind of experience. So I went to the doctor and they did some tests and of course it takes a couple days to get responses back and they call me up and the, the person on the phone says, I'm sorry to tell you this, which, which is not what you want to hear at the beginning of the phone call when they call you back. And they said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have salmonella which if you've never had salmonella, and hopefully you've never have, uh, is not pleasant. Uh, so I had salmonella, and here's the kicker. So salmonella is like, it's a food poisoning, but you get it. Uh, generally, I mean, it kind of makes sense to be at a mission trip in a boy's home in Jamaica, and I'm eating food at the boy's home, and there's literally chickens running around the property, and, and all this adds up. But the kicker is that they can do the math, and they can back up from when I had symptoms, and I wouldn't have gotten it at the boys' home. I would have actually gotten it at the airport food. And as I say airport food, I hear a groan from you all. <laughs> I would have gotten it from the airport food. I won't name the restaurant, but I don't think I need to eat coconut shrimp ever again. Within a week, I, I couldn't even get myself out of bed. Uh, it was all the energy I had uh, in myself to get myself to stand up. Uh, we, we had a two-story house. I, I would go up the stairs and I would lay on the couch and that was all my energy for the day. And then at the end of the day, I would come back down uh, and go lay in the bed. So imagine having the worst food poisoning of your life for 30 days. Food poisoning's bad enough. We've all been there, right? Uh, 30 days long. So in 30 days, I lost over 30 pounds. I gained it back, don't worry. I, I saw you all worried. Don't worry, I gained it right back. It honestly took me probably four or five months to fully recover, to fully kind of even have my appetite back and to fully uh, want to eat, have any energy. So here I have this mountaintop experience. I'm in Jamaica and everything's going great and I'm connecting with these young people and, and I've created this lesson plan and I feel like God is using it and God is working through it and, and students are pulling me off to the side afterwards and they're having one-on-one -on -one discussions where they want to pray to Jesus with me. Um, and I return home and, and it's just the ultimate valley. I, I can't even move my own body. Now, I know that it's not going to look exactly the same, but I also fully know and fully trust that some of you are there right now. That some of you, as you enter into this season, you find yourself in the valley. And it may not look the same for everyone, but I think it's important for us now to go into Scripture and to see what does Scripture say about God being with us in the valley. You know, in, in Scripture, valleys are often described. And in the Old Testament in particular, valleys are places where battles take place. 
large armies can't gather on hillsides, so it makes sense. So in the valleys, the armies gather, but that uh, feeling kind of stays in that place. So uh, valleys are often named after battles that historically happened there, after tragedies that happened and so many deaths that happened. Valleys in Scripture are places of desperation. They're lonely, lonely places. But interestingly enough, they're also often places of growth. They're often places that God uh, doesn't leave people in. How it's often described in, a, in Scripture is that we are brought through a valley. You often see this language, even Psalm 23. You're brought through the valley. God doesn't bring you in the middle of the valley and then leave you there. I love this quote. I heard it recently. If you're going to write down anything from this sermon, this is what you should write down. Right here. It said, we enjoy God on the mountaintops. But we get to know God in the valleys. I'll say that again. We enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know him in the valleys. Psalm 84. Read for you earlier. It's a very familiar psalm to many of us. Psalm 84, in, in case you don't remember, starts uh, with this phrase that, I mean, we hear in worship songs, we hear in other things. Verse 1 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Verse 10, we hear this verse, again, that we, we see over and over again. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. But sandwiched in between is a part that I think we often skip over. Or at least I'm guilty of often skipping over it. Verses 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. First thing we need to look at, verse 6, this valley of Baca. Uh, what is going on here? So valleys, they're these places where, where there's thorns and there's these wild animals and around every corner there could be bandits just waiting to take advantage of you. The Hebrew word here, baka, is closely related to another Hebrew word that is often translated to weep or to cry. The valley of baka is actually, it's a real place. It's a literal place. It's not just figurative. Here, it's a, it's a literal place. It's a valley that if you were on a pilgrimage, if you were on a journey to Jerusalem, uh, most likely you would pass through the Valley of Baca. The reason it's called the Valley of Baca, or the Valley of Tears, is because there's a lot of mulberry trees there. And one thing that's unique about these mulberry trees is that from their bark, they ooze and they leak sap on the outside of the tree. And, and as it oozes and it leaks out, it forms crystals on the outside, and these crystals look like tears on the outside of the tree. So as you're walking through 
Even the trees are crying as you walk through the valley of Baca. So it makes sense that this place is also called the Valley of Tears. Now some of you are in your own Valley of Tears as you enter into this season. But what's interesting in Scripture is that mulberry trees, they also produce mulberries. Mulberries are this this delicious fruit that produces on the trees. So often in the Old Testament and and in Scripture when it talks about this valley, it's spoken of as a place that you journey through, a place of tears, a place of crying, but also a place that at the very end of your journey there's this, this sweetness, there's this fruit that is gathered there. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, Lord, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Notice here, it doesn't say blessed are those who make it on their own. It doesn't say blessed are those who are independent. It doesn't say blessed are those who don't need anyone who don't rely on anyone else, who have no weaknesses and show no weaknesses to others. It doesn't say blessed are those who depend on no one and rely on no one. Blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord. They are on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They are journeying to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was called the city of refuge. So here they're traveling through the valley of tears, seeking after the city of refuge that they will approach. Verse 6, as I said earlier, it says, they will pass through the valley. The valley is not their destination. That is part of why they are blessed. The valley is not their destination. The valley is something they pass through on their way to the city of refuge. Psalm 23, verse 4, has similar language. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Often when we find ourselves in the valley, we just want out. We just want out any way possible. We want out as quick as possible in any direction that we can go. We just want to get out of there. And and that is our prayer. We say, just let me out of the valley. But the road to the city of refuge doesn't just go in any direction. In order to get to the city of refuge, you need to go all the way through the valley. I think this is so appropriate in the first week of Advent as we look at this word hope. What does it mean to hope? It means that we look ahead and we trust that something good is coming. And why do we trust that something good is coming? It's because when we look behind and we can look at God's faithfulness in the past, we can see that something good is coming in the future. Now this is really powerful. This is really uh, really exciting to me because what I often hear from people, and, and I'm guilty of myself, is that I get into the valley of tears and I just want to turn around and get out of there. 
I look around, I see how good things were. And my reaction isn't to, to take hope in that and to place that forward. My, my reaction is uh, to just run in that direction. To just get out of there as quick as possible. We just want things to go back to the way they were. I feel like that's the unofficial tagline of 2020. I just want things to go back to the way they were. We are in this valley of Baca, and we turn around and we see that things were good and that blessings were there, and our reaction is we want to run in that direction. But if you run in that direction, you never make it to the city of refuge. Could it be that God is bringing us through something? Not just into it and back out of it. That God is bringing us through something and on the other side of it there is hope. On the other side of it there is joy and we know that because we know how faithful our God has been. Verse 6. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rain also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Again, these are those whose hope is in the Lord. If your hope is not in the Lord, you're not going to go from strength to strength. But if your hope is in the Lord, the promise is that you will go from strength to strength. And look at what these people whose hope is in the Lord, look what they do when they're in the valley. When they're in the valley, they dig wells. Now this is really interesting. Because later on, it says the autumn rains will cover the pools. But it's not autumn yet. As they're going through the valley, they're digging wells. They're digging these cisterns that will hold rainwater when the rain falls. They will hold and, and, and take hold of the blessings of God when the blessings flow, but they're not flowing right now. Right now, they find themselves in the valley. They find themselves in the place of tears. They find themselves in the place of weeping. And their reaction, because their hope is in the Lord, is to dig wells to hold God's goodness. This is a powerful message. They find themselves in dry places, and yet they dig wells. They cultivate a place within themselves to hold on to God's good work. To hold on to what God is doing inside of them. When they cross this valley of tears, they find a way to make it a valley of wells. Now some of you have been through a lot in life. Some of you, it feels like you've just been hit with one valley of tears after another. And maybe your mountains aren't too high in between. And life has been hard. But if your trust is in the Lord, and I've seen this so many times in church people over the years. People whose trust is in the Lord, they are able to, in a way, find places of hope in these moments. Places where they've, where they've dug these wells, and maybe it doesn't even benefit them. But the next person that travels into that valley won't find the same valley of tears, will they? The next person that travels in will find a valley filled with wells. 
that someone else has dug in their own trust in God. Again, I see this over and over again in churches. You've been going through something. Something has been going on in your life and it's been hard. It's been really hard. And God sees you through it and eventually you get to that city of refuge. And soon enough, you look around your church family and someone else is at the start of the very same journey that you've already been through. Now you know what it's going to look like. You know the valley that they're about to enter into. You know the pain that they're about to have. And you can be a person of wells and a person of refuge in their lives. I've seen it again over and over again. People that have come alongside each other during low places, during places of pain, and are able to be people of hope, able to be people of healing. It's because as they went through, if their trust remained in the Lord, not in themselves, not in their own ability to just muscle through it, if their trust remained in the Lord, they made it a place of wells. And they are able to travel, like Scripture says, from strength to strength, not from weakness to weakness limping along. You know, when I was in Jamaica, I, I really started to kind of sense God's call in a new way. I'd already been in ministry for a little while. I'd already uh, gone to seminary. I already, I already did all that stuff. But this was my first call outside of seminary. And, and I was doing uh, primarily youth ministry stuff. And it was wonderful. And it was going really well. Um, and I loved youth group. And I loved having all that stuff. And I loved teaching there and leading and being with the young people. But as I, as I made those lessons and as I planned and as it all connected and just connected well, uh, I felt God stirring something inside me, something that said, um, you've, sold, you're, you've sold yourself short <laughs> in ministry. And I, I really feel like God put me in that church for a reason. I don't, I don't feel like there's anything wrong with being there. But I feel like there was something more that God was doing, that God said, uh, you thought this was it. See, I don't know if I've shared it much with this church, but when I was in seventh grade, I took speech class. or it was, it was, I think it was part of English. We had to give a speech. And I was the kid that came up front, and I stood there, and I was so petrified to say anything that I was silent the entire time. I just stood there shaking. I, I remember my notes, uh, and, and they were moving so much I couldn't even read them. And I just stood there, and after about 30 seconds, which felt like five years, uh, I then just went and sat down. And that was my speech in seventh grade. And I tried really hard to get better at it. I tried, I was like, okay, I want to I be able to just do the bare minimum. And, and I tried hard, and I got to the point where my senior year, I had another speech I needed to do. And I was able to stand up front, and kind of mutter my way through it. I think I probably just stared like this the whole time. And I, I said kind of what I needed to say. And then I sat down. And I got a C. So I went from not being able to speak to getting a C. I did that in my own power. I did that in my own strength. Puff out my chest. That's me. That's me, folks. I was able to go from saying nothing to getting a C. And then when I went into college later on, I, I did a few years, and I started calling 
God's call to me to go into ministry. I said, God, even in my own strength, all I've ever done is I've gotten a C in speech. You've got to be kidding me. Surely there is somebody else who can at least speak. And not a high standard here. Maybe somebody who could speak in front of a crowd might be nice. But I followed what God said to do. And I entered seminary, and, and I had my first preaching class, and I remember the professor saying, none of us can preach in our own strength, so quit trying. And it, it sat with me a different way that day. And that, that phrase kept, kept playing over and over again in my head. And after a while, finally, because I'm stubborn, after a while, finally I sat down and I prayed and I said, God, anything past a C, anything past what I could do in my own strength, this is for your glory. And this is for your honor. Anything past this, this is, this is you working in my life. So if I've ever given a sermon that's better than a C, uh, praise God. Please, please, please don't praise me. I am the one in seventh grade who couldn't say a word. And then my own strength, I got up to a C because I stared at the notes and I just said what it said. Uh, and then I walked off again. So anything past that, that's God. That is God seeing us through these valleys. That's the same God that we look for in hope. So as I get into these valleys and I look backwards, and you have stories in your own lives, I'm sure. As I get into these valleys and I look backwards, I know that God has been faithful. I know that God has been working. I know that God has done things in my life and in the life of my loved ones. And I also know that God isn't necessarily telling me to back out of the valley, to take one step in and then to run in the other direction. But sometimes God is calling me faithfully through. I think as the church in America in particular, if I could just speak to that, I think God is calling us through a valley because there's blessing on the other side. I've seen blessing as we go through this. I've seen people who, who've had abilities, especially in technology, that have been able to, to really tap into that during this time. They haven't been able to serve in church in the same way, but now there's this, this fit that they're able to reach I've seen families that have sat together and have watched church services around a TV who haven't gone to church together in years. I've seen Christians that are bold enough to share a sermon with someone because as they listened to it, as they watched it, they thought, oh, I, I know someone in my life who needs this. And they're really to share that digitally in a way that they would never invite someone to church. I've seen God do things. And I think that's just a little shadow of what it will be as we get through. So as we enter into the season of Advent, sure, it's going to look different. Sure, uh, you're at home watching this. I'm here. The worship band is here. Sure, it's, it's all strange and it's all unique. And we kind of go into it and we're grumbling. I thank you for joining us in the service today. But I think God has something for us this Advent. I don't think this is it. I don't think we just grumble our way through Advent. We get to Christmas, we grumble our way through Christmas, and then we expect some amazing blessing from God. I think God has something for us here. Because God has met 
his people in the valleys over and over again. On the mountaintop and in the valley. In your home or in the wilderness. In the calm and in the storm. In the crowded streets or in the empty desert. In our journeying and in our hope. And in our waiting, in our anticipation, we are never alone. Emmanuel, God is with us. Thank you.